Thank you, John. Good morning to everybody. Good to see everybody today. I know it's a little bit nippy outside, but it's a beautiful day. And it's beautiful in here and warm with God's love and uh, with our fellowship for one another. We uh, want to remember all of those in the prayer list. We were made aware this morning in Bible class in the auditorium that John, uh, that Paul Brown, his uh, brother, is suffering from cancer and his brother's son uh, has died and just, I believe, believe about 31 years old. Please keep the family in your prayers. Please keep Paul's brother in your prayers for healing as well. And Dina told me just a few moments ago, Dina Ferguson, that she'll be having foot surgery later this week. Please keep her in your prayers as well. I want to bring a couple of lessons, not all today, but, uh, but the first one today. I want to talk about neglecting our salvation and ask the question are you neglecting your salvation got no powerpoint on the back wall okay none all right so uh, <laughs> I've got to got to go through the scriptures myself here all right appreciate that technical glitches I'm telling you technology is great when it works amen, amen. all right when we're talking about neglect and I appreciate John reading just a few moments ago from Hebrews chapter 2, the first three verses there. And we actually get a couple of lessons there. They're tied together, but we can actually think about them from two separate perspectives. In verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 2, the Hebrews writer said, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. Now, I've, I've used the illustration a number of times in teaching on this particular verse of Scripture. If you've ever gone fishing in a boat, you need to make sure you have an anchor with you. Because when you find where the fish are biting, you can drop that anchor and you can fish there until the, the fish stop biting. But if you don't have an anchor and you say, well, this is great, the fish are biting. Probably within a few minutes, they're going to stop biting, and you're going to look around and say, whoa, whoa how did I get way over here? I was over there. That's where the fish are biting. Well, the current is going to drift that boat away. And, and what the Hebrews writer is saying, as Christians in our spiritual lives, we need to give the more earnest heed. We need to pay attention to the things that we have been taught, that we have learned, because faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17 lest we drift away from faithfulness. And drifting away from faithfulness means we're drifting away from God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, he goes on and says, if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, if God were going to reward or punish us based upon how we as human beings would issue judgment, then he says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Judgment is coming. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. But we need to pay attention to how we're living our lives because if we neglect our salvation, then what hope do we have? In Matthew chapter 13, beginning with verse 44, we read an illustration given by our Lord and Savior as to the value of salvation. 
Now we can say, okay, eternal life, but that's, that's salvation. In, in beginning with verse 44, Jesus used these illustrations. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid for joy over it. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And then the next verse, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, what's the lesson there? Jesus uses these illustrations for sake of our being able to relate to what he's trying to get across in the ultimate lesson here. And he says, think about this man, he finds this great treasure hidden in a field. It is so magnificent, it is so valuable, he goes and sells everything he has in order to be able to get the money to buy that field where that treasure is. Or a merchant who deals in valuable pearls he finds one that is so magnificent, so exquisite, so valuable that he sells everything else he has to get that one pearl because it's worth more than everything else he has. And Jesus says, that's the kingdom of heaven. That's salvation. That's eternal life. Nothing in this world can compares or even begins to compare with what we're talking about. Being saved in Christ, having eternal life, in heaven. So here's the question for each of us. Are you neglecting your salvation? Are you neglecting your salvation? Now we probably initially, instinctively would say, oh, well, well, no, but now let's stop and think. Are you being more diligent, as the Hebrews writer said? Are you neglecting your, the proper attention, giving the proper attention to your salvation, to your faith in God and Christ, to your dedication to God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Are you neglecting your salvation? Are you making excuses maybe for ways in which you might be neglecting your salvation? First, have you neglected your salvation in the sense that you have not yet come to Jesus for salvation? You've not yet come to God through Christ his way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have you come to Jesus, your Lord and Savior? Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's spiritual rest. And he's ultimately talking about salvation and eternal life. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Have you done that? We're not just talking about saying, well, I believe in Jesus. We're talking about coming to him and giving your life to him. As the apostle Paul, and talk about someone who had to make a, a 180 turn in his life. He did not believe in Jesus we might even conclude that perhaps he even hated Jesus, although he'd probably never met him or seen him even first, uh, face to face. But because the gospel of Christ, Christianity, was drawing Jewish people away from Judaism and becoming Christians, he tried to stamp out the church. He hunted down Christians 
took them as prisoners, even voted in some cases for their execution, tried to compel them to blaspheme the name of Christ. Said he was ex One text he said he was exceedingly enraged against them. And then he met the Lord one day. Now the Lord did not save him on that road to Damascus, but he met the Lord that day. The Lord spoke to him from the bright light and said, go into the city, you'll be told what you must do. And Paul, when he, Saul of Tarsus at that time as he was known, when he got up off the ground because the light had been so intense that it knocked him off of the animal he was riding, he fell down, he was blind. He was led into the city and he fasted for three days, praying. The Lord sent Ananias, a Christian man, to teach him the gospel. He said, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling in the name of the Lord, calling on the name of the very one you were trying to compel people to blaspheme. He made a 180 turn in his life. And then later when he was writing the Galatians letter in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul, as he became known a little bit later, as he began preaching the gospel, and then was appointed as a divinely appointed apostle of Jesus Christ, he made a 180 in his life, complete turnaround. He became a Christian. He had neglected coming to his Savior. He had discounted Jesus' fulfillment of the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And he didn't believe in Jesus. He needed to give the more earnest heed to the things that the scriptures were teaching from Old Testament prophecies about the coming Savior. He needed to become a Christian, and he did become a Christian. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 3, he wrote, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. All men. Peter repeated that in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, Paul said the same thing. We have one mediator between us and God the Father, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. The apostles said in Acts chapter 4, shortly after the church had been established, people were becoming Christians. They said, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. Have you neglected to come to him, not just believing in him, have you neglected to come to him with your life and surrendering to him? as your Lord and Savior, not just verbally, but in action and obedience. In John chapter 3 and verse 18, Jesus said, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Everybody here 
all, probably without exception, would say, I believe, I believe, as Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 24, I have said, therefore, that you shall die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. In Mark 16 and verse 16, when Jesus sent the apostles of the Great Commission after his resurrection and he was ready to ascend back to heaven and await that final day of judgment when God would send him back to call all people to account from all time. He told them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. We must believe in our Savior. But that belief is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling of acceptance and agreement. It's not even just a verbal acclamation. I believe in Jesus. But that kind of faith is coupled with obedience. It's a belief that is so strong that it leads us to commitment. In verse 36 of John chapter 3, your King James Version, I don't believe, and your New King James Version, I don't believe, give the proper attention to the original Greek in that verse. And other translations, such as the American Standard Version, they do, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Bible, they give the more literal translation there. In verse 36 of John chapter 3, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Real saving faith in Jesus as our Savior is coupled with obedience. In fact, the obedience is part of that kind of faith. As Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's obedience. In verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them obeys them. It is he who loves me. And then in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Obedience again. That's what real saving faith is. It is obeying faith. In fact, the Hebrews writer in speaking of Jesus said in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, though he, speaking of Jesus, were a son, he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author or source of eternal salvation to all who not just believe in him, to all who obey him. Real saving faith is obedient faith. Obedient faith. Have you come to Jesus surrendering to him in baptism for the remission of your sins? He said, wait, 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 I, I, whoa, whoa, I'm... What does that have to do with my salvation? The wages of sin is death. Romans 6 and verse 23. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The rest of verse 23. On Pentecost, as the church came into being, and that multitude of Jewish men were gathered there, and the apostles began teaching the gospel, Peter's words are highlighted in Acts chapter 2. And he rebuked them. And condemned them, basically, for rejecting the Son of God, Jesus, the Savior. And then in verse 36, he said, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made the same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. 
They had instigated, at least the Jewish leadership, had instigated the crucifixion of Jesus. Peter said that did not change the truth of who he is. God has made him both Lord and Christ. In verse 37, many of the Jews said, what shall we do? What do we need to do in response to this truth that you've taught us? In verse 38, Peter said, repent. You rejected him, you've got to accept him. You disbelieved in him, you've got to believe in him. But it's not just intellectual agreement. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. So your sins can be cleansed, washed away. When Jesus told the apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. That Saul of Tarsus, who later became a Christian and then a gospel preacher and then an appointed apostle of Jesus Christ, he, 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 he talked about how the Lord himself, after he got up off of that road blind and he was led into the city of Damascus, after the Lord had spoken to him and told him to go in the city, you'll be told what you must do. He said, this Christian man, Ananias, came and he taught me. Are you reading in between the lines there? But he specifies one thing that he taught him. Ananias said, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. It is at baptism. Again, remember Romans 6 and verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of, of, of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How do we come into Christ then? It's not just by believing it's not just by having this overwhelming sense of belief in Jesus, but it's believing to the point of obeying him. It is at baptism, as we just noted in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Acts 22 and verse 16, that we cross that threshold from being lost in our sins to being forgiven of our sins. At baptism, we contact the blood of Christ, the cleansing power of that blood that, that so graphically symbolized, portrayed his death on the cross for us as the perfect sacrifice. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And Paul says the same thing in Galatians 3 and verse 27 when he's writing to the, the churches of Galatia and he says this he writes this down for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ now where is the gift of God eternal life found in Christ Jesus how do we come into Christ Jesus through baptism for the remission of our sins it's, again, that threshold, that crossing over point of being outside of Christ to coming into Christ through baptism. And it needs to be in the right way. The word means immerse, bury, plunge, dip, submerge. And so someone who says, well, I was sprinkled when I was a baby, that's not baptism. As taught in the scriptures. That's baptism made up by some man sometime, somewhere, at some time in past history. But that's not the baptism taught in the scriptures. 
Well, I was saved and then I got baptized later. That's not the baptism taught in the scriptures. Salvation comes at baptism, through baptism, into Christ. Not before that act of obedient faith takes place. And so we need to stop and think. Now, so have you, have you come to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation? If you have not come to Jesus in faith, repenting of your sins and surrendering to him in baptism through remission of your sins, you're neglecting your salvation. Now the second question in, in dealing with this basic question, are you neglecting your salvation? Have you come to Jesus already? But then somewhere along the line, have you neglected your faithfulness and grown weak spiritually? And do you find yourself making excuses for not being as dedicated and committed and active in your faithfulness as you used to be? Are you neglecting your salvation? The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13, watch, stand fast in the faith. In the faith, the word of God, the teachings of the gospel. Be brave, be strong. Stand fast in the faith. Are you diligently studying God's word? The apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, and I, I like the King James Version here, but whichever translation you're looking at, whether it says in the beginning of the verse, study, or be diligent, it means the same thing. And it's pointing to the same ultimate uh, goal. Be diligent, study to show yourself approved unto God. How do I do that, Paul? Rightly dividing the word of truth. I've got to get into God's word. I've got to stay in God's word. I've got to keep learning those teachings, reinforcing them in my mind. Why? Because faith comes by hearing the word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, Peter said, as newborn babes, as you become Christians, but we never should get past the point of what he says next, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Do you find your spiritual growth somewhat stagnant or maybe even waning? because you're not staying in God's word as diligently as you once were when you first became Christians? Are you neglecting your salvation by neglecting your getting into God's word, being with the church as the church comes together and studies and teaches and so on? Do you think you can do it on your own? The devil's pretty skillful in trying to blow a lot of smoke in our face and think you don't really need all that, all those church services and all that. You don't really need that kind of Bible study. You can do it on your own. You can be, do your own thing. Why is the church here? In 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, Peter goes on and says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, how can you tell people what the gospel of Christ is? How can you tell people how to come to salvation in Jesus if you don't know what the word says? 
In Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 9, the Apostle Paul wrote this. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Do you see the emphasis on growing in knowledge of God's word here? In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why do I need to keep growing in my knowledge of God's word? Of his will for my life? Because his will for my life is communicated in his word. But then he goes on in verse 10 and says, That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Do you see all of those characteristics of faithful, dedicated Christianity that are brought forth in that particular text of Scripture? And all of them are tied to staying in God's Word and growing in our knowledge of that Word. Does this image, does this image of neglect to grow in the knowledge of God's word describe you? Hebrews chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And have come to need milk and not solid food. We understand what that portrayal is, or what that imagery is portraying. Like a baby just born. He's born, his system cannot tolerate the solid food for a while. So he's fed with milk. But you can't leave him on milk. He's got to mature enough that he starts taking in solid food more and more. And, and the Hebrews writer is simply making that comparison to our spiritual growth. From the point when we first become Christians, baptized into Christ, to growing up in Christ. For everyone who partakes of milk is unskilled in the word of God, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now back in verse 12, you ought to by this time be teachers, but you need to be taught again the very basic fundamentals of Christianity because you have not grown in the word. The Apostle Paul lays out in rather succinct but logical progressive form the importance of being in God's word. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 beginning with verse 15, first he reminds Timothy that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. We learn about our Lord and Savior. We learn about God. We learn about saving faith through God's word. Then he goes on and he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God's very word. And is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, for our continued teaching and learning as Christians, that the man of God may be complete and that relates back to Hebrews 5 and verse 12. You need to grow up in your faith, in your understanding, in your spiritual life, in your dedication to Christ. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
And God has good works in his mind for us to be involved in, in serving him through Jesus Christ. In neglecting to study God's word on an ongoing basis, you're neglecting your faith. Because again, faith comes by hearing the word of God. And what did the Apostle Paul write once again in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13? Watch, stand fast in the faith. Be brave, be strong. In neglecting your faith, you're also neglecting your salvation. Also neglecting your salvation. We need to open our eyes. We need to recognize when the devil is trying to pull us away and say, you don't need to be in the Bible that much. You don't need to be at all of those church services where they're teaching the Bible. That's old-fashioned. It's boring. No, it's exciting. And it's growing. It's nurturing. Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. That is your salvation. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we want. Eternal life in heaven. We want the fulfillment of that salvation through Jesus Christ. Now going back to the beginning of this immediate context of scripture in verse 5, Peter began by saying, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence. Remember 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15? Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Here Peter says, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue to virtue, knowledge. Knowledge. Are you neglecting your salvation? Have you surrendered to your Lord in baptism for the remission of your sins? If not, you're neglecting your salvation. Are you nurturing your faith or are you neglecting your faithfulness? If so, you're neglecting your salvation. Again, what does the Hebrews writer say? In Hebrews chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We understand we buy a brand new house. We're excited over that. But if we do not take care of the upkeep of that house, it will ultimately fall down around our ears. We get a brand new car. Boy, we're excited. But if you neglect the maintenance on that car, 
it'll eventually stop running. And we could talk about the application of the principle to our relationships. I told my wife I loved her the day we got married. How long ago was that? That was 20 years ago. If I changed my mind, I'd tell her. You may lose your marriage. You may lose your relationship. You need to pay attention. We understand about our job. We've got to pay attention to our job. If we just stop showing up, we know what will happen, don't we? We'll lose that job. We understand the principle in all of these common areas of our physical lives. The principle is even more important in our spiritual lives. Are you neglecting your salvation? Are you neglecting your salvation by neglecting your faithfulness? Are you neglecting your salvation because you never came to Jesus in the way taught in the scriptures? Do you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins? Buried in the water? He's waiting for you. Don't neglect your salvation. Do you need to come back to him more fully, asking God's forgiveness because of your weakening faithfulness, because you've been neglecting your salvation in that way? God's waiting for you to come back and say, I'm sorry. I, 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 I should not have been neglecting my faithful dedication, commitment, active service. Please help strengthen me. We'd love to pray with you and for you. We'd love to assist you to come into Christ through baptism. Don't neglect what you need to be doing. Don't neglect showing God your thankfulness for what he did for you in sending his son to that cross on your behalf. If you need to come, come right now as we stand and sing. Number five.